0: Welcome to Divided States of Women. I'm Liz Plank. I'm Hitha Herzog. And today we are talking about a very important gender gap. The first, I think, gender gap that women have closed. They, they, they've shattered a glass ceiling, yeah. and that glass ceiling is the infidelity gap.
1: Oh, yes.
0: <laughs> are you excited that, that that's the first one we've shattered? Um, I never knew yeah. that, though. Is yeah. that really true? Yeah. So in the last few years, uh, women well, before, men used to cheat on women more than women cheated on men. And uh, there's new research that Esther Perel, who we're going to interview today I'm on so our excited uh, about show, that. Um, she has, you know, talks about research that shows that now women are cheating just as much as men. You know, there's a part of me that feels like this means that women are more, have have more opportunities and freedom to pursue <laughs> different options for themselves. Right. Um, but at the same time, equality it doesn't mean um, doing the thing that the other gender does that's, like, a bad thing, right? So in the same way that we view the objectification of women as sort of a bad thing, a lot of people now see the rising objectification of men's bodies as, okay, well, at least now we're equal, but it's it's not—let's just, like, not objectify people, right? Um, so it, it, in
1: that same way, I think, for cheating, maybe we should all cheat a little less. I mean, I inherently think cheating is selfish. Like, right. if you can't—it's— it's, Rooted and birthed in the idea of dishonesty. Right. So, like, why do you have to be dishonest? I agree with you there. I also wonder if women are cheating more or if they're just, not like, not lying about it.
0: Like, are they cheating more or were they cheating as much as men all along
1: but they weren't being honest about it? They weren't being honest about it. Yeah.
0: Remember in Sex and the City when Carrie is in a relationship with Big and he is cheating on his wife with Carrie? Right. And Carrie's the one who has to hide it from her friends as if she is the one who is cheating when it's Big who's cheating. And obviously Carrie's involved, but... You know, and we talk about this with Esther, how even when women aren't even the ones cheating, when they're involved, when they're the mistress, or they're the woman who stays after the man, you know, has uh, been forward about his cheating, women are always
1: held to a standard—like, they're always shamed for it in a way that men— I don't think they are. It's almost like this puritanical standard that women have to meet in order to just have acceptance from their friends, their family, Mm -hmm. their relationships. I agree. I think it's true. And, you know, I have friends who have been in cheating situations and they were afraid to tell me because they felt that I held them to this puritanical standard. Mm -hmm. When you have uh, a conservative background, maybe you grew up in a conservative household or maybe you grew up in a in a conservative society, you're ingrained with these ideas that, well, listen, women aren't supposed to act this way. And if you are a woman that's acting that way, it's like the Scarlet Letter. By the way, if you're out there and you're cheating and you're a friend of mine, I'm here, you can talk to me.
0: You know what, Heetha, I'm not cheating on anyone right now.
1: I'm not either. <laughs> but <laughs>
0: I feel like I, right would, now. I wouldn't no. I wouldn't want to tell you. Because I I feel like you yeah, I think it's because I know that you would never do that. And and I know that you—like, do you think that cheating is always bad? Wait, so can I be yeah. honest? Yeah.
1: Would Before you- I was married to Seth, I was dating this guy. I was in a long-term relationship, really serious. Okay. And I cheated on him. Oh, my God. And it was really bad. Are you and serious? And you know what? Since it's like the honest hour right now, <laughs> I was in this really long-term relationship and— We became like Bill and Hillary.
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. What I mean by that is that
1: we had a great working relationship, but we definitely weren't— involved in a physical way if you can you know what i mean with that and um this guy came along who was a friend of mine and one thing led to another and i felt like i couldn't tell this guy that i was in a long-term relationship with so i had a little dalliance and wow. the way he found out he created this program where he was able to download all of my im messages my Ew. instant messages are you
0: serious yes Okay, that's he. I don't know. Someone who does that deserves to be cheated on. <laughs> I, I'm like not. I just think there are certain things. But I did learn. I know that he downloaded all of your information. Yeah, your private conversations with yes. Okay, that's another. And so, okay, it's a whole wait, other level. What I want to know is, yeah, when he told you that he had found out that you were cheating through these private messages that right. he, you know, stole from you, right? What, were you mad at him for having stolen that information, or were you expected to apologize because this is a thing that i it's a true true um sort of dilemma interesting in this new age that we live in mm-hmm. a lot of people are finding out through technology, looking at your phone, looking at your email opening opening up your private you know communications, and in that instance, who is Who has, like, done the worst thing? The person who cheated or the person who invaded the other person's privacy? And it's—I feel like once you are in that position, you're just setting yourself up for, like— Oh, my gosh. Like, how do you—well, it's so much trust that's been broken. And that's exactly what we are going to talk about on today's show. We have Esther Perel. Esther Perel, she's um, a really, really smart expert on all things relationship and love. Her book, uh, *The State of Affairs*, is on the bestseller list of the New York Times. I think it's number seven. And so, a lot of people in America right now are reading about affairs. Maybe they're they're using a different book cover uh, for you know so, so that their partner doesn't see what they're reading. Uh, but but it, it 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 is telling that it is doing so well. Uh, because it is a topic that is so taboo, I think, especially in the United States. Um, and so I'm super excited to speak with her. One of the most interesting things that you talk about, actually, in your new book, The State of Affairs, um, is the fact that we've closed one gender gap, and that is the cheating gender gap. Um, so although men were more likely to cheat in the past, it seems like in the last few years, women have caught up to them. Um, can you explain to us what what's happened over the last few years? I would probably say that w- there
3: are three main reasons mm-hmm. why women have rapidly closed the infidelity gender gap, as we call it. The first is the democratization of contraception was the first way by which women could experience mm-hmm. their desires without having to fear pregnancy, mortality, that's Nothing would have happened without that. The next one is a growing economic independence. She may not have to fear in the same way destitution, ostracism, the loss of her children. And number three, no-fold divorce. So she has a way out if she needs to pay for the consequences. The reason women did not stray or did not allow their loves, their desires to be expressed elsewhere, the way that men have practically had a license to do, is because the consequences have always been more dire for her. She stood to lose everything. There are still nine countries today where women can be killed for straying. This has never been a gender equal proposition. Mm. Monogamy and sexual fidelity have been part of overall sexual politics.
0: And so do do you think that this is a sign or it sort of reveals
3: how empowered women are in society? If you put it as women are cheating now like men, then you are putting a certain spin on this. If you say women too have the possibility without having to fear their lives and their destitution, to, if, if it happens in their life, to fall in love somewhere else, to pursue their desires somewhere else. But then, you see, it very quickly becomes women are empowered to cheat. Why don't we say women, too, are empowered that if their desires take them elsewhere, they do not have to fear the dire consequence that they have historically had to fear.
0: Right. You have such a, an unconventional view on infidelity, Um in American society, and anything in most Western societies, we view cheating as, as something that's very bad. Uh, we actually spoke to women. Um, we were at the women's convention this weekend, the Women's March uh, convention, and we spoke to women who are, you know, pretty much all progressive women, and there was a, a really big difference in the way that people reacted. No one reacted neutrally to this, you know, clo- closing of the infidelity gap. It was either, oh wow, this is awesome. High five. We we did it. Or it was, oh my god, no. This is not this is not mm-hmm. empowerment. This is not what we want. I mean, why do you think infidelity is so controversial? And why do you think it's seen so so negatively?
3: Here's the thing. Infidelity has existed since marriage was invented. It has been a taboo forever. It is shrouded in secrecy and in shame. It is often the last taboo that hasn't made it go away, and it has existed along any form of marriage. Open relationships, closed relationships, happy relationships, not happy relationships, it exists. And despite the, the, the liberalization of sexual mores, this Subject has to remain the one around. People remain deeply intransigent, and even more so today, because we live in a society in which we wait ten years longer to commit to ourselves, to to ourselves, to Mm -hmm. somebody. We look very, very carefully for the one and only. We consider our one and only our best friend, which was never the case. Before We had a partner really? and we had best friends. No, best friends, you okay. had best friends. <laughs> your partner was your partner. Your partner was not. And your trusted confidant and your passionate lover and your best friend and your companion for life, your family, all of that. When infidelity happens, it shatters the grand ambition of love. It is seen today as the ultimate betrayal and it is seen as the greatest breach of trust in a relationship from which there is no return. It is a deal breaker and it is considered one of the leading causes of divorce at this moment.
0: Do you think that we are harsher on women who cheat than men who cheat? I was um, looking at some research around movies and the you know they, they they showed subjects a male protagonist who was cheating and then a female protagonist who was cheating and the male protagonist was sort of had re- redemption or had a re- possibility to be forgiven and and sort of you know the audience had empathy for them but not with the
3: women cheating is, right. is there a difference oh for sure For sure. Look, men practically had a license to cheat for all of history with all kinds of theories that came to justify why they are natural roamers. Um, By the way, we also always said that men cheat for novelty and because they're bored and because they lead variety, but women cheat because they're hungry for intimacy and they're lonely. You bet when the consequences are that severe Mm -hmm. that she has to wait till she's really miserable and so lonely before she even broaches that risk. But more importantly, we judge women a lot more. We always have, and all the roles, we judge the woman who is betrayed and deceived. Mm, We judge the lover. There is no homewrecker in the masculine. And we judge the woman who, um, and we judge the woman who strays. And part of it is because we have this old standing idea that men cannot control their urges. Mm -hmm. Men are biological creatures always in search of an outlet, and they need to be controlled by the modesty of the woman. The woman is in charge of keeping the man from uh, from uh, t- uh, responding to the temptations of his lustful urges. This is from the Bible on. More importantly, we judge the woman today who chooses to stay, exactly. even when yeah, she has the option so to go. If divorce used to carry all the stigma, today choosing to stay when you can leave is the new shame. Mm-hmm. And so not only is she betrayed by her partner, but she can't talk about it with her friends because they will judge her for still loving him. And so now she's protecting the very person, him or her for that matter, the very person who lied and cheated to her. She has to protect in order for her not to be isolated, basically isolated. She lives with a a double lie. Right. One of the
0: uh, first articles that you wrote that went viral was about Hillary Clinton, right? And the erotic intelligence, right? And, and, and sort of the fact that we—because as I talked to many women on the, on the campaign trail, and this was mostly, I think, older women who had, you know, sort of gone through the Monica Lewinsky thing at, a, at, a, at, at an age where they were able to sort of understand it in a way that I was sort of too young. Um,
3: and they really hated Hillary Clinton because she stayed with Bill Clinton. Yes, and at the same time, when I speak about this point and I'm in an audience only of women, this is a moment they clap. Because right. they are so many of these women in the audience who made a choice to stay yeah. because they had a whole life built together, because their relationship wasn't necessarily always bad, because they didn't want to punish themselves and lose everything that they had built mm-hmm. on the basis of that, because they chose not to make this event the only central event of their entire 27 years together. And they <sighs> clap because they feel that somebody actually gives them a, a dignified recognition for the choices that they made. This is a complex issue. Very complex. We can't just be black and white about it. We can't only polarize around it. When we are just judging, we actually have no conversation at all, and we destroy good relationships. Divorce is not the only solution. There Mm -hmm. isn't a one-size-fits-all. Right. And in many ways, you talk about this, how cheating can actually help stay in a relationship. It's not that it helps you stay. Mm -hmm. It's that Everybody understands that from a crisis, there is often danger and opportunity, that sometimes an affair, an infidelity, many of them will just break the relationship. But other times, it can remake a relationship. It can be a powerful alarm system that jolts you out of a state of complacency and laziness, and it brings you back together, realizing what you stand to lose. And from there, people often will rebuild a relationship that they feel is even stronger and deeper and more honest than the one they may have had before. That is not the same as to say affairs are good for your relationship. Nobody would say you should get cancer. But everybody understands that when you have a life-threatening illness, it often gives you a new perspective on life. Mm. We don't learn from studying Apple and Google. We learn from looking at the deep crisis of betrayal and breaches of trust to understand how people can rebuild trust and how people can mend and how people can repair and repair. Do all women cheat equally or
0: are there sort of... You know differences in terms of socio socioeconomic status or you know race, ethnicity, gender identity um and furthermore i'm I'm kind of curious about that backlash that we're talking about in terms of cheating um, you know you've talked about how there's more of a backlash against women who 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 cheat, but is there also more of a backlash against certain kinds of women and, and women who exist in those socioeconomic pockets. You know, there's such a right-wing conspiracy, falsehood out there that, you know, black single moms are destroying the American family. Um, is, it, do, is it as available to them, I guess?
3: Um, and Look, the, the, you know, as somebody once said to me in the Middle East, give the woman a car. The first thing mm. women need in order to be able to experience any needs desires that they may have that don't have to do with the caretaking role that they have at home is the possibility to leave the house. They need mobility. So um, that is the first thing. If you are beleaguered, 44 million people in America are caregivers. A good number of them are women. They care for their children. They care for their ill spouses. They care for their elderly parents. You know, they don't have another minute to think about what do I want and what do I need seriously Mm, Um, at the same time when you just put it like that then it becomes you know what do women need to do in order to cheat right cheating is a word that is used in order to really look at the infringement the betrayal the deception the lying that goes on as part of the infidelity I think we have a very stereotypic notion of where people go what people do Of course, there are plenty of chronic philanderers and Mm -hmm. plenty of narcissists who, among other major egregious things that they do, they also cheat. Mm -hmm. But the majority of people that I have worked with, the ones that are in my office anyway, are people who have often been faithful for years. These are not bad people. And they one day cross a line that they themselves never thought they would cross. Let me give you one of the main infidelities for women. Situations where they are beleaguered, Often abused, mistreated with a partner who has had an affair with their job, or a partner who has betrayed right. them in multiple other ways, and who one day find comfort and solace in somebody who is kind to them, who treats them well. They have been taking care of the children. They've been taking care of his mother. They've been taking care of him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It is those stories that are the majority of the women's stories that I hear. They have, to, they, of course, they involve cheating, but they often are. A quest for tenderness, for love, for, for desire, for attention. It's that what people seek.
0: Mm. That's so interesting, having an affair with your job. There are other kinds of, you know, we, when, when we think about infidelity, we think about it as doing it with another person, it, the, in, interpersonal, but there are so many facets to a relationship. And one person could be, you know, not fully present, not because they're with someone else, but because they're, yeah, spending all their time at work or not prioritizing the needs of their partner.
3: Or, as one woman said, he kept going downstairs and sitting with his 6 pack. Mm. And then, of course, when people immediately say, but why didn't she leave him? Because it's not always so simple. Mm. Because there are entire networks of relationships, because they have a disabled child, because they have economic issues. There are reasons people stay. Mm. And to just pressure people to go all the time as if it's the one and only solution, we don't know what the consequences will be for the decisions that other people have to live with. Right. And so we need to have a model that is more caring and more compassionate for all the parties involved. Mm. The children that need to be able to forgive their parents. You know, I'm on book tour. I have been asking all the audiences, how many of you have been affected by the experience of infidelity in your life? As a child whose parent was unfaithful, as the offspring of an illicit love. As a person whose shoulder is wet because somebody's been weeping on it, as the one who is the confidant listening to the others who is in the throes of it, or any of the three main protagonists, about 80% of every audience raises their finger. So, this is not a few bad apples. This is woven into the fabric of our relationships, and that requires a conversation that is different for the oldest sin and one in which people can have dignity and not, not just live in secrecy and in shame on all sides. The children of, you know, if somebody is cheated on, they get isolated. If mm. somebody's par- partner is ill, the community rallies around them. This is the new plague? Seriously? Mm. And yeah,
0: this emphasis on why didn't she leave um, is really interesting because it mirrors a conversation after the Ray Rice um, you know, brutalized, there, there was a video of him brutalizing his then fiance and now wife, uh, Janae Rice, and there was all this conversation about why did she marry him? Why did she stay with someone who was abusive, uh, abusive to her? Um, do you, why, why do women stay in domestic uh, abuse relationships and why are we so hard on them for doing so?
3: It's a very complex question. Um, there is a cycle of abuse in which after I have degraded you, after I kick you, I then come back in sorrow, in shame, and I begin to tell you I will never do it again. And it's called the redemption phase. Mm -hmm. And in this redemption phase, I say, only you, baby, can understand me. Only you, baby, can help me beat this. I would never do, you know, you are the best, baby. And Mm -hmm. so she goes from being completely vilified and annihilated to being elevated to the one and only. And that phase of redemption is really Almost intoxicating, in believing um, that this will change, that you, that they actually need you, that they couldn't live without you. When a, ten minutes before or an hour before, it was you know, who are you? You would be nothing without me. You know, I can throw you on the street, etc. Mm-hmm. Et and it is that deep cycle that is traumatizing, that is often reminiscent of other trauma. Um, That is That that really sucks you down. But to explain the dynamic of uh, domestic violence, um, what I think is very interesting is that many women who live in shelters will go back to the person who beats them. But once he cheats, then they finally have a reason to go. Wow. This is the research of Dr. Peter Frankel.
0: Wow, it's very
3: interesting. It's like th- that that to me is a, is a, big, a bigger question. Why yeah. would she go that why she goes back in the cycle of domestic v- abuse and violence? we understand a lot. But why this becomes the final thing by which she can now now she has the reason to go.
0: That is mind blowing. That is, um, I mean, it's revealing about how we view cheating. That is literally the worst thing that 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 someone can do to
3: you. If I couldn't leave you, but right. this is true outside of domestic violence, mm. which is not my expertise. So I right,
0: well, you're. I mean, you've already revealed something that that I I didn't know, and I'm sure many people didn't know about that.
3: the yeah, the connection. You know, but in in many instances, women or men, but in this instance we're talking women, um, who continue to accept, to to bite their lips, to live in compromise, to live in subpar situations. But the day he finally cheats, she finally has a a way to leave that justifies the leaving in ways that none of the other things would have, and that is quite common.
0: Right. What does it reveal about
3: cheating? What it reveals is that this betrayal today tops all the others. This is the most important. You can be indifferent. You can have neglect. You can have violence. You can have contempt. You know, I had a man not long ago. He he literally is like cursing his wife out in every name possible because she cheated while he has been mistreating her for so long. And and it really was one of these, you know, sir mm-hmm. betrayal happens in many forms i mean you have betrayed your vows as well that doesn't mean you relativize it doesn't mean you blame the victim it's not an equalizer but it needs to be understood that this is mm-hmm. the victim of the affair is not always the victim of the marriage right. cheating mm-hmm. is what you do to your partner but mm-hmm. infidelity is not just about cheating what what is infidelity about infidelity is always a dual perspective it is lying deception betrayal on one side, mm. but it is often growth and longing and self-seeking on the other. Right. It's both and. It's what it does to you and what it meant to me. Mm. This book, is The State of Affairs, is not only about the impact of infidelity, of which we know a lot, but also about the meanings and the motives of those who do it. Why do they do it? And until we understand that as well, we we will not be able to really resolve this.
0: Right. I mean, one of the most powerful things uh, that, that I've experienced from, you know, listening to you and, and reading you and, 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 and watching you speak is having empathy for the person who cheats.
3: I, I never, ever thought about it that way. So I, it's empathy for everybody. Right. It's empathy for everybody, first of all. Second of all, understanding isn't justifying. And to write about this doesn't mean you condone it. And certainly that doesn't mean you encourage it. It means that this is way too complex and way too present. We need a way to help the people who go through this crisis. Mm. It's um, empathy, but it's also accountability. It's compassion and it's responsibility. It's all of it.
0: And expanding the concept of an infidelity, I think, is really
3: interesting. Yes, because it's systemic and yeah. intergenerational. Mm-hmm. Affairs are never just a story of two people. What does that mean? It means that it's passed in the family, but it mm-hmm. wasn't told. And then you discover that there is a half-sister. And then you find out that, that you know, let me give you an example. I met this young woman this, uh, last week. Um, my boyfriend's father cheated on my mother. And uh, 22 years ago, and do you think I should worry, you know, does this pass in his genes? Is he, am I at risk, you know, because that happened in his family? Meanwhile, the father married this woman. He had a new family. He has shown a beautiful example to his son. And I asked this young woman, if instead of my husband, my boyfriend's mother, father cheated on his mother, it became my boyfriend's father fell in love with another woman and decided to leave his wife because he realized that this, that he could not be the man he wanted to be and treat his wife the way he wanted to treat her. And he has been able to show a very different relationship to his son.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: What would be the difference? And I have known so many Women and men, young adults who have not spoken to their parent because they lived with one story. And then once you give them a different perspective on this, are able to forgive, to understand, to approach, to connect again with their parent, and see that this cheating frame may not have captured all the truth of the relationships.
0: So interesting. Um, So we're going to take a break uh, now and we'll be back with more Esther Perel um, to talk about sort of the state of relationships in this very interesting political time that we're living in right now.
5: So, Liz, I'm imagining you in the airport last night on the runway for an (laughs) hour and a half, hearing four screaming kids Mm -hmm. behind you, and I know exactly where you wanted to be instead of on that runway. I wanted to be on my Casper mattress. Of course. I
0: wanted to be on my Casper mattress so badly because it's so comfortable. Um, If you don't know about Casper, they're a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans and engineered to soothe and cradle your natural geometry you spend one third of your life sleeping so you should be comfortable when you're doing it casper mattresses provide all of the support the human body needs in all of the right places
5: they're affordable prices because casper cuts out the middleman and sells directly to the consumer Mm -hmm. and it comes right to your door like it did to liz's yes in a
0: box and if you live on six flights of stairs and you have a great uh, neighbor, he'll help you bring it up. Um, there are three mattress models. I have the original Casper, which is great. There's the Wave, and there's the Essential. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Start sleeping ahead of the curve with Casper. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash divided and using
5: divided at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. That's $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash divided. So we're going to shift gears a bit and
0: talk with Esther Perel about politics. Um, So we've been talking to women about how the election and the aftermath has taken a real emotional toll on their personal relationships, everything from their dating lives to their conversations with family members. So here's Grace. She's 23 years old. She lives in Long Island right now, but she was in school in D.C. during the election. She had a pretty strong reaction when she found out that a guy that she was dating was planning on voting for Donald Trump.
4: Something had happened with Trump, like in the news, and I was kind of just uh, assuming that nobody took him seriously the way that I didn't take him seriously, you know. <laughs> and I was and I was talking about it, and he mentioned, um, you know, basically that he was going to vote for him in the primaries and stuff like that. And I was like, I, I, I'm not going to be able to look at you during dinner, so like you need to just turn around. <laughs> and he was like, What? <laughs> So that ended. I mean, Trump's values, I think, were very evident at this point. You you know, that he didn't value women, that he didn't value people of color. And that's been something that's been obvious since he's been a celebrity. And that much was clear to me. I still didn't know much about his plans. Uh, I still don't. But, (laughs) uh, you know, so I think I'm realizing now that so much of the things that I believe in in politics are about values, right? Like about prioritizing women and people of color and healthcare and, you know, access to things and stuff like that. And those are so many things that are coming up now. And I think that's so now I do consider myself to be someone who takes politics like, you know, as something that is a deal breaker because of the values that are, for me, I'm very much against guns. And it's like if somebody thinks that, you know, is pro-gun, I'm kind of like, especially with everything that's been happening, the, you know, the mass shootings that we've had and all the tragedies that people have been killed from, from people that shouldn't have guns. I'm just like, I can't align with the values that you have, you know? So I think it's, it's, it's that for me, I think.
1: I was actually talking to my friend Sarah, who voted for Trump and now feels that she has to be closeted about the whole thing.
5: My father historically has voted conservatively, and in the past, he and I have been able to speak about politics on a level um, playing field. Uh, however, this year, he um, decided that he did not want to vote for Trump. He felt like he was insane and he ended up voting for Hillary because he felt that she was a politician. She knew the ropes. She knew Washington. Um, Obviously that was why I didn't want her in there (laughs) because I wanted the uh, politician um, out and get somebody in there to, to really um, help clean everything out. So my father and I, um, if we, if we did speak about the election, Um, He would just poo-poo my thoughts on the whole thing. And and when I shared with him that I was volunteering for the inauguration, he just about hit the roof. I shared with my daughter that I was um, volunteering for the inauguration downtown. And after some time had gone by, she apparently had shared this with some of her friends um, who voted liberally and she said to me, well, mom, how do you think I feel having to tell my friends that you voted for Trump? I will say when the whole Tea Party effort began, I was part of that and it was so refreshing. And um, then not too far into it, uh, these these accusations of racism come into it and it really just ruined it for me because I certainly wasn't a racist and I'm not a racist. But someone throwing those accusations in just kind of blew the whole the whole ideal of it. And I, I I feel like that's kind of happened in this as well. I love politics. It's unfortunate that this election has really separated one side from the other. And um, I hope there'll be something that will happen or time that will go by that um, we can kind of meet back in the middle and sit down at the table and, and talk civilly.
2: Hi, my name is Els Skuya jones My brother is a Trump supporter, and the morning after the election, Facebook was filled with posts about what we were going to do next. My brother, who we'd always been at odds with politically, he posted, well, now you've got job security. Which, I'm in non-profit, my organization gives grants to social justice organizing and the fact that my brother would make this comment as if I am profiting or I'm happy was so offensive to me and that was the beginning, that was the very beginning of the Trump administration. Now that it's very clear how we're on the opposite ends of the political spectrum, it's it's difficult to want to pick up the phone and have a conversation with him about other things. We're so fundamentally at odds with one another that I have very little interest in the, the day-to-day mundane, um, everyday life of my brother at this point. So I played a little bit of this tape for
0: Esther Peral, so I want to bring her back. um, And I asked her basically what she would say to this woman who's
3: having a real rift in her family. I could imagine this woman talking about how we need to cross the divide and how we need to develop the art of difference and how we need to talk to the other America, et cetera, et cetera. And here is her opportunity. So um, your brother has a very different worldview. What do you understand about it? Um, and he may not be interested in yours, but you may be underst- underst- uh, interested in understanding his. So the first thing is, remain open and curious. How did he get there? What is it for him that he went to look for in that option? Next, do not necessarily think that people only act from their ideological base, from their political views. Um, goodness often transcends principles of politics. Um, I don't think that you can always know what the person would do in a dire situation by the political party that they vote for. Mm. I would not just assume that because you vote Democrat, you are by by definition kinder, more generous, more altruistic, or any of those things. Um, That is true. Your brother may be really kind and generous to you and not to other people who he associates with you, but separate the two. Um, it is become very difficult. Thanksgiving is approaching. People are wondering, what are we going to do at the table? Um, at the table, you're going to try as best as you can not to talk about politics because with the, otherwise, within 10 minutes, one of you is going to get off the table. And you're going to talk about, you have children. People have done this forever. You talk about the things that unite you. Mm-hmm. And that means the family, his, his children, uh, your other interests, your grandparents, uh, your past, your history. And on that, you will try to be together. It is not the person with whom you live your life. He's not part of your inner circle. You have your blood family and you have your family of choice. Mm. It, and those are uh, different networks of relationships that coexist. We live in multiple networks of relationships these days. And we need that diversification. So your brother is one of the many people in your network. And with him, you absolutely do not discuss the state of the world because it would be incompatible. Unless you say, I'm going to let him talk. And I'm going to, instead of reading the news, I'm talking to him. And I will actually learn a heck of a lot about how somebody thinks like that on the other side. And I may even ask him, you know, because he may think he knows me and... Supposedly, I don't know him. So it may not be an equal proposition. Mm. So, what, what I also would add by yeah. the way, that if he says to you something that is hurtful, mm. you just say, ouch, yeah. that hurts. You know, you're entitled to your ideas. No, of course. But, you know, my dear, when you say it like this, you put me down, you disqualify what I do, you invalidate everything I stand for. Did you mean to hurt me? Mm. Because if you personalize it as the sister of your brother with whom you once were closed, you actually get to let him see how these statements are not just, you know, abstract words. They actually pierce into someone's gut right. and use your relationship to let him know how this affects you.
0: Right, right, right. That's such a good point. Often we, yeah, get into argument arguments, and it's about the ego. I mean, it's like, I believe this, and right. this is true, and this is
3: right, and we leave out the the, the the feelings. Don't discuss the ideas. Right. In any case, don't discuss the ideas. Discuss the emotional mm-hmm. uh, valence of these ideas, what these things do to the person who has to hear that. Right. That's very different than the validity of the statement itself. Right,
0: right, right, especially nowadays with... You've, you know, you have uh, almost different sets of facts depending on how you get your information. Um, and does that make people reach more consensus when they're able to talk about their feelings as opposed to statements or keep it in the very rational part of the brain?
3: Yes, because you, you, you preserve the connection. Okay. You, you preserve the connection despite the differences. And there will be zones that you don't enter. These zones are not part of the relationship. This happens all the time mm-hmm. that they're parts of the relationship that you don't touch. Right. We don't touch politics. We don't touch sexuality. Mm-hmm. We don't touch money. There are lots of forbidden territories in relationships. Right. That doesn't mean people can't p- remain close. Right, right. And what if the other person wants to talk about it and you don't want to talk about it? You simply say, you know what? I'm really having a great time. I'm so happy I came home to see you. And if we're going to talk about this, I'm going to get a bitter taste very quick. <laughs> Let's not do that. Mm. I, I I would love at one day when we, you know, but not today. I, I really would prefer... Um, I like you. And if we're going to talk about this, I'm going to not like you or myself or whatever. You know, you bring a little bit of humor. You say, we have a relationship. We have a connection. And when it comes to this, we are so fundamentally different. I cannot imagine that you, my brother, you, my best friend, you, my mother, are f- seeing the world so fundamentally different from me. Right. This ability to live and preserve a connection in the face of what feels like irreconcilable differences is one of the greatest challenges of relationships at all times. But the other, the, you don't want, on the other side, to just be with people who constantly just are an extension of yourself, mm-hmm. and 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 you, you, that would be like living in a palace of mirrors, mm-hmm. you know. Every relationship deals with differences, and it is not the specific content of the difference that makes that is the only criteria it's also the emotional crucible in which that difference occurs if your brother can say to you I know we have very different ideas about this I can't believe why you do this but I, I get it it's very different from what you see You see, Mm -hmm. I told you so. You are so damn naive. What the hell are you thinking? You know, who cares what she voted for? The put down, the contempt is way more important than what it is that she stood for. That's what I mean by the emotional crucible. Mm -hmm. Is there respect around the difference? Is there a basic acceptance that, yes, people can sometimes have fundamentally different views and that doesn't make them bad people?
0: But what about when you love someone, but that person has really toxic or you know personally hurtful ideas? Let's hear a little bit more tape from Els Quia Jones.
2: I'm married to an African-American man. We have a black son. I should say that my family's Filipino, and it's even more hurtful, the anti-black racism, because we ourselves are not white. So when Charlottesville happened and the president refused to speak explicitly against white supremacy, I just noticed the silence from my family, including my brother. What I wanted to see from my family was solidarity, at the very least on social media, not necessarily on the streets, for black lives. And to to speak against the demonstrators in Charlottesville to speak against the president's unwillingness to, to criticize them, to speak against the way the president put blame on all sides rather than where it should have been, that silence was really hurtful to me.
3: At some point, you may sometimes say, I can't relate to you. I'll do the bare minimum. I know we came out of the same location. Uh, but for the rest, we share very little. And mm-hmm. um, and we will be side by side rather than face to face. Right. And that's, you know, practicing kindness towards yourself. Yes, that's a, that's basically living with integrity. It's mm-hmm. not just kindness. It's integrity. It's mm-hmm. at some point there are certain. I can live. It's it really, it's, a man, it's an on, on a continuum. How much difference can you tolerate in your own family, around you, before you start to feel like the price you pay for maintaining the connection eats away at you. Right. I don't want to lose you, but I don't want to lose me either. Right. How much of me will I have to give up right. in order to preserve my relationship with you? And I can tolerate this amount of difference. You can vote Trump, you can do this. But once you become a member of a hate group, at that point, no. I mean, this is just an example mm. to, to show it's really like it's a, se- a sense of circles. How many of these circles until at some point you start to feel like you are disintegrating from inside mm. by being in the presence of something mm. that at this point challenges your entire integrity?
0: So for you, Heatha, it's so much closer to home uh, because you are conservative and your husband is
1: not, right? Seth is it, really progressive. Raging I follow him liberal. on social media, I know. Um, comes from a liberal family. I mean, I also come from a liberal family too. I am like the Alex P. Keaton, that's an 80s reference, but that's a, you know, I'm I'm the one conservative in my family. And now I am the one conservative in my immediate family with wow. Seth. How do you deal with that? When Seth and I first started dating, I was very honest and open about the fact that I was conservative. In fact, the reason why we started talking is because I wanted to be more funny on Fox News. So (laughs) he knew that from the get-go, and he's been extremely supportive of me not necessarily agreeing with me. We do fight a lot in our home. I, You should come over one of these days <laughs> when we're having these political discussions because it gets really heated. Yeah. We slam doors. Um, there are times where I have to take a walk. There are times where he has to take a walk. But for the most part, I mean, he's married to me. So we're loving about it. So I think when Seth and I have fundamental disagreements about certain subjects, you um, I really believe in tax reform, hardcore. I'm a Republican through and through when it comes to monetary issues. He thinks that it's all so stupid and we get into heated arguments about. That's just one of many things that we get into arguments Mm -hmm. about. I think what we try not to do, to Esther's point, is to not let it affect the core values of our relationship, which is we really love each other, and we are perfect for each other. We may not agree on this specific thing, but uh, I try not to infiltrate that core love for him. So it doesn't really affect how I feel about him. There are a million other things that I love about him. He just doesn't happen to agree with me on the tax issue. But you know, if we do have tax reform, we are going to be more wealthy and essentially happier. So. You know, hopefully he's happier, too. So it's working for everyone. So
0: it's like feelings before tax reform, like hoes before bros. Um, (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) Hoes before bros. Feelings Feelings before before tax tax reform. reform. I love it. That
0: doesn't have as much of a good ring to it. We'll have to figure out a better one. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Divided States of Women. Please rate and review this podcast. Yeah, we want to hear what you guys
1: we, think about yeah. what we're talking about here. Mostly if you have positive reviews. Yeah, we, it, we are super excited about those. But also negative. I mean, listen, yeah. we want to... We'll we, take or take. We like constructive we like feedback. criticism. Yeah. As long as you're not swearing at us. Yeah, don't do that.
0: Um, and please tell a friend about the podcast. You can email us at divided Thank you. Thanks. Bye Heath. Bye Liz. Divided States of Women is executive produced by David Goodman, Heatha Herzog, Nasha Kerwa, and me, Liz Plank.